Good morning. Well, um, when we left Joshua last week, he had had an encounter with the commander of God's army, who was Jesus. He had heard who he was and had fallen on his face in his presence. He was instructed by the commander to remove his shoes because he was on holy ground. If you missed last week's lesson, I just want to remind you that this is called a theophany. A theophany is an appearance of God to a person. So Joshua is in this fully submissive posture to God and waiting to hear what God wants him to do. And then the chapter ends. I don't know about you, but that seemed like somewhat of an abrupt ending to me. I had to remember that in the original transcript of God's word, there were no chapters and verses. The story just continued. Chapters and verses were added later for our benefit. I found myself leaving Bible study last week, sitting on the edge of my seat, wondering what happened next. I, of course, knew that the Battle of Jericho was about to take place, but I don't ever remember connecting it to the theophany that Joshua had experienced. If you've been around church long, church long, you have heard the sweet, fun children's song about Joshua fighting the Battle of Jericho. I kind of wanted to play it like it was my walkout song today, like the (laughs) sports people do. But I didn't. (laughs) But you know the song I'm talking about. It's a fun, upbeat song that introduces children to God's might and power. You know, Jericho fought, uh, uh, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Um, Even VeggieTales has a cute rendition, rendition of that song that my children and now my granddaughter even listen to. At first glance, it's easy to credit the battle of Jericho to the Israelites' brave and obedient leader, Joshua. But as we connect last chapter's verses to this chapter, it becomes quite clear that Joshua is only an instrument. He is the weapon that the true commander uses to fight his battle. This is clearly the Lord's battle, and Joshua is the instrument of his warfare. Let's pray one more time. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you um, that you allow us to see your sovereignty through this, that we, you allow us to see your power, you allow us to see your might. And as we go through these few minutes studying your word, Lord, I pray that truth would be spoken. I pray that we would be able to clearly see how this applies to us and how we can, um, with the power of your Holy Spirit, live out your word in our lives. The battle of this life is yours, and we need to remember that. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at this chapter today, I want us to concentrate on a few principles. I want us to look at the following things that I've seen in these chapters. I want us to look at the predictable outcome, the presence of God, the preparation of God's people, the promise of God fulfilled, and and finally, the prevalence of God's grace. Yeah, I like alliteration. Um, So if you'll look at Joshua chapter 6, verse 2, we're going to start there. See, I have, get, I have given Jericho into our hand with its king and mighty men of valor. Remembering that this is a continuation of what we learned about in chapter 5, this is the Lord speaking to Joshua in that very encounter, giving him instructions about the upcoming battle. The words have given indicate an action that has already taken place. The outcome of this battle is predictable because it's already been won. God lets Joshua know the outcome before any action towards the battle has even begun. The victory has been declared before the battle has even been fought. It may seem a little odd for me even to start with the outcome, but that's exactly what God does here with Joshua. I have given you the land. So it is complete 
and it is finished. So we see the predictable outcome. The reason this outcome is so sure is because of the presence of God with his people. He is present with Joshua in, and the people in verses one through, oh, he's present with Joshua in verses one through six as he gives him instructions for the battle. And we see his presence with his people twice in verse six, once in verse seven, once in verse eight, once in verse nine, once in verse 11, once in verse 12, and twice in verse 13. That's a lot of times. That's a, that means that that's an important aspect for us to remember. God is present with his people. The Ark of the Covenant was symbolic to the people of Israel that God was in the midst of their presence. As Joshua and the Israelites obeyed God and marched around the city of Jericho, the Ark of the Lord was in front of the rear guard. As they marched, they marched in a circle. A circle has no, I had the picture in my mind, they're marching in a circle, and a circle has no real end and no real beginning. So God was constantly in the midst of the people. Sometimes he was before them, and sometimes he was behind them, depending on where they were in the march of the circle. But he was always in their midst, guarding their comings and their goings. Another thing we see in this chapter is the preparation of the people for the battle. In Joshua 2, 10 and 11, we see that God had even prepared the people of Jericho. Rahab is speaking, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Shehan and Og, who you devoted to destruction. This week, as an aside, this week you looked up the meaning of the word, uh, words devoted and destruction. Those words together are represented in the Hebrew text by a word um, called, I called it sharm, I think it's actually harem, C-H-A-R-A-M, which means to curse, annihilate, destroy. Um, so Rahab and all of the people of Jericho had heard what God had done. And she continues to say, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God. He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Everyone heard. They surely knew of the promise of God to give Israelites their land. Back to Joshua. Look at verse 1. Now Jericho was shot up, is shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None came in and none came out. Jericho was closed. They had just seen God hold back the Jordan River with their hand, with his hand. They were in protective mode and they were preparing for battle. They wanted to be ready when the Israelites waged war on them. They did not, however, perceive how this war would be fought. God also prepared the Israelites. I, three, I see three specific ways that he prepared them. He made sure that they were completely dependent on him. We saw last week in chapter 5 that all of the men were circumcised as a sign of the covenant, this made them vulnerable and incapable of waging war on their own strength. As they approached Jericho, surely they recognized the daunting task before them. The walls of Jericho were tall. They were 28 feet tall and the base was 30 feet wide. They were to face mighty men of valor. I'm sure they may have been intimidated and unsure of how they would accomplish that in full strength. And they weren't, and they weren't in full strength. As they marched around Jericho on those first six days, they had to be aware of the challenge that would face them when the battle began. They knew they had to depend on the Lord. 
He had placed them in a position of total dependence on him. He also prepared them. Well, the battle of Jericho had already begun. It began with the promise that God made to Abraham some 400 years before in Genesis 15:8. It culminated in Joshua. The battle of Jericho is a battle of faith. Hebrews 11:30 says, "By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for 7 days." The people of Israel had to exercise their faith. They had to obey the commandments given to them by God and Joshua. Obedience is a sure sign of faith and the thing that most honors and delights God. Did you notice how in verses 6 through 16 Joshua gave them their instructions for one day at a time? God does not give them through Joshua the full picture of how he was going to accomplish the victory. He did give that to Joshua, but he does not give it to the people of Israel, simply that he would. It was only when they obeyed God faithfully that the victory came and the walls came tumbling down. So he prepared them by establishing their faith and teaching them to obey. Another way the Israelites were prepared by God for his battle was through silence. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you will shout. Let's just be real here. Silence is difficult. Especially for me. It makes me extremely uncomfortable. But what was going on in this silence for God's people? thinking and reflection as they marched in silence the realization of how big their enemy was had to be playing on their minds but they would soon be reminded that their god was much bigger fb meyer says it is only the still heart that can reflect the heaven of god's overarching care or detect the least whisper of his voice through its quiet atmosphere or know his full grace and power the israelites were prepared through their silence And God was true to his promise. In Joshua 6:20, so the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. It wasn't in the way the Israelites expected or in their timing, but the promise was fulfilled in God's perfect timing and his perfect way. He fulfilled the promise he had made to Abraham by the beginning of the taking of the land of Canaan. He fulfilled the promise he made to Joshua that the battle had been won, and he fulfilled the promise he had made to Rehab, Rahab. Rehab's on my mind right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> to Rahab, um, when he promised that she would be kept safe through the battle. In the midst of the chaos of the capture of the city, we see God's prevalent grace. Let's look at verse 17. And the city and all that is within it shall be de- devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Notice how we are reminded that Rahab is a prostitute. In chapter 2, we learned that she had heard the word of the Lord and she professed God as the one true God. She didn't deserve grace. Yet that is exactly what she has been given. Verse twenty-three. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her, and they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And then again in verse twenty-five. But Rahab the prostitute. Again, we're reminded of her position in life and her father's household and all who belonged to her. Joshua saved alive. Back in chapter two, Rahab had thrown herself. 
uh, and her family on the mercy of the spies. She had no reason to expect that she would be spared, and yet that is exactly what happened. God saved her because of who God is, not because of who she was. This is a beautiful uh, story and a quick summary of that chapter. And I want to remind us that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16, we are told that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So I want us to take the next few minutes and see what we can take from this story and apply to our lives. As Christians, we are all going to face battles. We have been promised that. John 16, says, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Some of our battles may seem to have 28 feet high walls and 30 feet bases. The gates may be sealed and they may be man- manned by strong and experienced defenders. They may seem insurmountable. But just as in Jericho, the outcome is predictable. The rest of John 16.33 says, But take heart, I have overcome the world. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to realize the predictable outcome. Jesus has overcome the world. The victory has been won through Jesus Christ, who in his grace and mercy went to the cross on our behalf. While on that cross, he cried out, It is finished. At that moment, our battles were diminished and always should be viewed in the light of the cross. Again, I say the victory has been won. We need to recognize the presence of God. Sometimes in our battles, it is easy for us to focus on the circumstances rather than recognizing the presence of God. In the midst of them, God told us, God is in the midst of them. God told us in Deuteronomy 31:6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. He has promised to be with his people, and as Christians, we are with his people. How is he with us? We don't have the the symbolic Ark of the Covenant, but we have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. In Hebrews 13, 6, it says, So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We have also received the Holy Spirit, so God resides in our midst through all things, including the insurmountable battles. Galatians 4, 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The ark was in the center, in the middle, in the midst of His people, The heart is in the middle of our body. It is in the midst of us, physically, spiritually, literally, figuratively. The spirit is with us and we have complete access to him. He is always in our midst. We also need to ready ourselves for the battle. We need to hold on to our dependence on God. Philippians 1.6 says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I think we are in the age of self-sufficiency. I know I am. I want to do it all, and I want to be able to do it all well. The Lord is teaching me to be dependent on him and teaching me that it is much better to rely on him than on myself. His ways are not our ways, but they are so much better.
we need to relish that dependence on the Lord. We need to be thankful that we can be dependent on the Lord. We need to relish the silence. I already mentioned how difficult silence is for me, and our society does not encourage silence. We have constant noise. There is always a background of music or TV or talking. Even in the night when we need the quiet to sleep, we use sound machines to keep out the noise. I'm not condemning sound machines. I'm just saying that silence is not our norm. Yet Psalm 4610 tells us to be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. How can we know God better with the drone of noise in our lives? Sometimes we need to be still and silent and hear what God has for us. We also need to ready ourselves for the battle by practicing obedience. How many times in our lives have we gone on about the business of our way, our lives and doing things our way and hit a bump and then paid attention to being obedient? Partial or occasional obedience is disobedience and disobedience is a lack of faith. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do we love Jesus enough to be obedient? We all know that in our own power and effort, we cannot be fully obedient. But God promises, gives us his answer in Ezekiel 36, 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God has fulfilled his promise to us through the Holy Spirit. We can be obedient in the power of the Holy Spirit. We also need to rejoice in the fulfillment of God's promises. God had promised the Israelites that they would take the land that he was giving them. In Joshua 6.16, Joshua tells the Israelites, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Y'all, the walls were still standing at that time. I'm sure that they were kind of thinking, really? (laughs) They hadn't fallen yet, but God's fulfillment of his promise was certain. And we can have that assurance as well. I can't help but think about the song that we sing here that has the line in it, Shout for you have been redeemed. The Israelites had to feel redemption at the moment that the walls fell. Y'all, we have been redeemed. That is something to shout about. That is, God has always been faithful to keep his promises and will continue to do so. That is something to shout about. We need to receive God's grace. We are all prostitutes just like Rahab. We are all sinners. We may not sell our bodies for profit, but we sell our values and our morals and our character and our resources and our time for success, promotion, recognition, and many other things. We, like Rahab, deserve destruction. We build our house and dwell in the walls of the city, just like Rahab's dwelling was in the walls of the city, destined for sure destruction when those walls come tumbling down, except for God. God has reached down to us and extended grace to us through his son, Jesus Christ, who took our punishment on the cross. We deserve death, and yet God in his grace gives us life. We deserve to tumble in the rubble of the destroyed city walls, and yet God extends his hand and raises us to new life in Jesus. If you are a sinner saved by grace, then you understand how undeserving you are and likely relate to Rahab and rejoice in your redemption. If you don't recognize the gift has for you through his son, you are not here today by accident. Please reach out and allow us to point you to God's words in Joshua 
and other places throughout his word that show us the beauty of a life lived in submission to God through Christ. I would love to stop there with the tumbling of the walls and the winning of the battle, but even before they fell, even in the midst of the battle, Joshua warns the Israelites in verses 18 and 19 to keep themselves from things devoted to destruction. In the midst of the battle, Joshua is aware that there will be temptations facing his people, just as there are temptations for us. They will see good things and they will want them for themselves. We are all still susceptible to sin at all times, even in the midst of the battle. Temptation abounds when we are most vulnerable. We will begin to see why Joshua warned the Israelites even before the walls fell in chapter 7-1. Let's pray and remember, we'll be back together in two weeks. Father, again, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your son. Lord, so undeserving, chief among sinners am I. And yet you reached down in the, in the rubble and gave me new life in your son. And you've done that for so many of us. And I thank you for that, Father. If there be but one who does not know you today, Lord, I pray that you would open their ears, even in this moment, so that they can see what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.